0: Alright, well this is part 3 of part 4 in our series in Philippians called Living the Christian Life. Uh, Today we're going to be in chapter 3, and I just want to take some time to review how we've got here to chapter 3, what we've covered in the past weeks. In chapter 1, Paul spoke to the Philippian church about the importance of advancing the gospel, and we saw Paul's commitment to this gospel in his own life as he was imprisoned, possibly facing death, but still cared more about the people coming to know Christ and the church growing. And then last week, we saw Paul, how Paul called us to, as Christians to live in humility, uh, counting others more significant than ourselves, and who better to follow as an example than that of Christ in his life in chapter 2. And we examined Paul's description of Christ called the hymn of Christ, which encourages exaltation in the view of his humiliation. I also shared that hearing who Christ is is a call to action for us believers. We are to be like him. I just want to take some time to emphasize that we as Christians are not called to a life of exaltation for ourselves. The more we point to ourselves, the less we are pointing to God. The more we advertise ourselves, promote ourselves, focus on our gain, the farther we are from Christ. And our goal as Christians, which is to love him and love others. I challenged us to read Philippians 2, 1-11 through again throughout the week, uh, to be reminded of Christ's character and to strive to be more like him. This letter from Paul to the Philippians is full of exhortation, and today is no different. Paul continues his encouragement and instruction to the church in Philippi and to us this morning. So Paul's letter continues to build as we've gone from encouragement, exhortation for living the Christian life, uh, to looking at Christ's perfect example after further instruction and counting others more significant than ourselves. And now we come to further uh, encouragement to live for Christ with our heavenly goal in sight. From chapter 3, I want to address this Christian life that we live in three parts. The past, leaving it behind. The present, striving toward the goal. And the future, destruction and heaven. I want to address the mindset that we should have towards these three areas of our life. Past, present, and future. And I think Paul gives us some insight to the outlook that we should carry as believers. So let's read together, and then we'll pray. that i may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death that by any possible means i may attain the resurrection from the dead not that i have already obtained this or i'm already perfect but i press on to making it press on to make it my own because christ jesus has made me his own brothers i do not consider that i have made it my own but one thing i do forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Let's pray. God, we come before you right now, Lord, and we we recognize that you are God, and you are a good God, and you want the best for us. God, we come before you as servants, and as servants, God, we, we our, our our minds need to be focused on you, uh, no matter what is happening in our life, and that, that's it's hard to do. Life is hard to. Uh, to keep life in a perspective with you number one is is a challenge, but God we our desire is for that our hearts are for you. God, some of us here may be tired, weary, discouraged, uh, drained god just uh, there 's a lot going on um, in many people 's lives, but we want to lay that down on the altar before you um, and trust you. We really do want to trust you with everything that we have going on, knowing that you will work it out for your good for our good and for your glory. God, I pray that the truth from your word in Philippians would restore, would renew, would fill us, God, and that we would leave this morning uh, being encouraged and empowered in your word. So we give this time to you. uh, God, give me the strength, give me the words to say and the way in which to say them. We pray this in your son's name, amen. So let's start with what Paul says about the past. For some of you, younger, have not lived a lot of life. There's not much to look back on. Uh, For others of you, there's a bit more to remember. And it's something we may do often, uh, often looking back towards the life that we've lived, or maybe not at all. We don't tend to do that. But let's take a look at how Paul says that we should remember the past. In verse 7, we see Paul's life as he is following Christ. We've been covering for the past couple weeks the need and call to actions that we as Christians have to follow Christ in His perfect example, and now we read about how Paul did exactly that. Just as Christ had given up and lost everything that made him God, all the ways in which he humbled himself that we talked about last week, Paul also counts all that he has lost, lost for the sake of Christ. One commentary suggests that it was at Paul's conversion on Damascus Road where he counted confidence in the flesh as nothing and confidence in Christ as everything. As we know from earlier verses in this chapter, Paul had everything that a man at that time could boast about, but it was all nothing for the sake of Christ. God got a hold of Paul by making sure that all that Paul wanted was him. For Paul to realize that Christ is what he needed, not something that the world would count as gain. He counted it all as loss. He didn't hold on to anything, but counted Christ as everything that he needed. In verses 5 through 6, Paul goes into how he really did have a lot to boast about from worldly standards and even a religious standard. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, blameless. But whatever gain he had, he counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul's credentials were upper echelon material here. He was circumcised in accordance with the tradition of the Old Testament. He knew of the tribe from which he came from as an ethnic Israelite. Some believe he spoke Aramaic, which is the national language of Israel at the time. And not to mention he was from the strictest religious sect and carried out persecution against the followers of Christ in the name of God. Even for those not in the church, he was held in high regard. This was a man who had it all. But the key was that before the sight of God, all this meant nothing. For though Paul thought he was pleasing God and persecuting the church, he had shown himself to be the foremost of sinners. So now comes the change. All that Paul would have considered gain in the past is now lost, and all that was lost, his relationship with Christ, is the only and greatest gain he has. This conclusion that Paul comes to here is challenging. Could I honestly say that I count everything that I've worked for as nothing, everything that I've gained in this world as loss, and count Christ as my only gain? And I would like to think yes. In a heartbeat, I could say yes, no problem. But the reality is it would probably take me a while to come to that conclusion. I might struggle with a bit of resentment or have a power struggle with God from wanting to keep the things that I think are mine, consider my gains, this is where Paul's, uh, what well, he says in verses 7 through 8 and verses 13 really speak to the issue of how to regard things of this world. Verse 13 says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. So in this verse, Paul is saying he leaves what is behind him behind him, he leaves it in the past. And leaving it in the past, I think, even pertains to things that are out of our control that are behind us. I think God was using this passage to speak into my own life this week, as has become usual when preparing for these sermons. It was another exercise in humility, but also letting go of the past and striving towards the future. And it's such a small example, it just helped me understand the bigger idea of what God was having here, or what God says in this passage but I was thinking about how Becky and I, uh, how we got to where we're at in life now. We're at William Jessup. Even the specifics of what apartment we landed in. Um, and as we were moving a month ago, uh, a month ago, right? Wow. Um, moving, as you guys know, it never goes the way you plan. Moving is terrible. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's the worst. Uh, you, there's so much hassle, there's packing, there's things you have to get rid of, decisions you have to make, and you're making some of these decisions on the fly. You wish you had more time. Um, and so everything's just coming at you fast and uh, you're just trying to get settled. And afterwards, after it's all happened is when you kind of realize, oh, we sh- maybe we should have done this or maybe we should have yes- said yes to this answer or, or to this question. And anyways, the hindsight is 2020 when moving, at least that's what it was in our experience but the truth of the matter is, for us, God has us where he has us, and it's a good place. I, however, kept dragging my feet, looking back in the past and what happened. And it was as if God was moving life forward and bringing me along, but I had my feet stuck in the ground and wasn't looking forward. I was looking backwards, complaining and whining about why, why did it have to happen this way? Why are we in this specific situation um, and then reading this this week just helped me to see Paul's Paul's opinion of forgetting the past and striving forward. As I was doing this, looking backwards, not looking forwards, it was keeping me from being present with God. So I learned a little bit this week. Verse thirteen says, "Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead." And this is key to follow as we're thinking of the things in the, of the world and loss that we encounter here on earth. Calvin goes into this in a way that is very helpful. He says that Paul alludes to runners who do not turn their eyes aside in any direction lest they should slacken the speed of their course and more especially do not look behind to see how much ground they have gone over but hasten forward unremittingly towards the goal. Thus Paul teaches us that he does not think of what he has been or what he has done but simply presses forward towards the appointed goal and that too with such a door that he runs forward to it as it were with outstretched arms. We'll get to that second part in the next section, but that first part, that he doesn't think about what he's been or what he's done, helps give us insight as to how to view our past, which for today I want to look at in three different ways. One way that you can view the past is in a prideful way, looking back over the distance that we've covered in a way that boosts our ego. This is what I believe Paul wants us to avoid. This puts the credit on our shoulders, thinking of the progress that we have made. It does not give God the glory. We become prideful and our egos become inflated. And as we saw last week, we run the risk of no longer being humble, which means no longer being like Christ. It can be so difficult to remain humble when our pride comes from a good thing. Progress in running the race towards the goal of fulfillment in Christ is a good thing, But the enemy can take a moment of reflection, a focus on the past, and turn it into a sinful thought that can grow in our hearts. We need to be careful in viewing the past, lest our hearts become prideful over the growth that we have experienced, and we take credit not giving it to God who truly deserves it. So, in this way, we need to not dwell on the past, but move forward. Another way we can view the past is to look back and be encouraged in what God has done in our lives. Calvin brings up the point that looking back can indeed help our vision of what is before us, that we can have a better idea of what the goal is if we look back. He says that the remembrance of our past life is of use for stirring us up, both because the favors that have been already conferred upon us give us encouragement to entertain hope and because we are admonished by our sins to amend our course of life. Looking back at what God has done in our lives can encourage us, remind us of the hope that we have in him, and help us in our journey forward. Seeing God work motivates us to trust him more, and this is a good thing. The third way we can view the past is a struggle to let the past go because of the weight of our sin. It can be a challenge to let things go in the past, things out of our sinful nature, Like Paul had to let go of the past sins that he had committed, specifically towards the followers of Christ, we have to also let go of our sins that we've committed against God. Have you guys ever struggled with with letting sins of the past go? Have you felt it difficult to leave the past in the past? Have you thought that certain sins are too big not to define you? I remember the past that I couldn't let go of, It felt like a trap. It felt dark. It felt shameful. And it felt like it was always going to hold me back. But in thinking these thoughts towards my past sins, I was giving more power to my sin rather than accepting God's grace and forgiveness for me. Thinking that our sin is too big for God to handle is wrong and misplaces God in our lives. It's a sense of pride by saying that my sin is too big for God. Sin, all that sin, all of our sin, all of our sin combined is not too big for God. This is where the power of Christ overcame and washed all of our sin away. He is stronger than any of our sin. On that cross, he died for all of our sins and they were forgiven. He is stronger, sin is broken, and we are saved. We too, like Paul, can leave the past behind and strive forward towards the goal. I think Paul dealt more with this last one when saying that he forgot about the past. He didn't want anything to deter him from reaching his goal of Christ. He could have felt proud for all his accolades in the eyes of men, or he could have felt like his sin was too much, but he wants to forget the past and press forward. Calvin says, If anyone looks back with a feeling of regret for the situation that he abandoned, He cannot apply the whole bent of his mind to what he is engaged in. I think that's great encouragement for us. This is what Paul wants for us and is encouraging us to do that all of our mind and energy be forward to the goal, which brings me to the next point the present. This is what we are to do now. We've seen how Paul encourages us to view the past, and now we're focusing on the mindset that we are to have presently as we live this Christian life, focused toward the goal. At the end of verse 13, we see the instructions to the Philippian believers to strain forward in contrast towards what is behind us in the first part of that verse. I imagine Paul here like a running coach when we're running that race, tempted to slow down, tempted to take a break, tempted to go backwards into sin. Paul is one of the sidelines cheering us on, giving us encouragement, giving us those tips on how to run better, how to finish. Matthew Henry says this, As he who runs a race never takes up short of the end, but is still making forwards as fast as he can, so those who have heaven in their eye must still be pressing forward to in holy desires and hopes, in constant endeavors and preparations. The fitter we grow for heaven, the faster we press towards it. We are to press toward the goal. One of the biggest hindrances to pressing towards the goal it says in verse four, as it says in verse fourteen is complacency the idea that we've made it that we've arrived being content with where we are spiritually. We as Christians cannot succumb to being content with a stagnant relationship or pursuit of God. Now I'm used to speaking to the youth on Wednesday nights and I try my best to encourage them that they should not be satisfied with just being a good Christian, which is more than just a title or coming from a good Christian family, but to pursue God with everything they have in genuine relationship with him. It may cause them to look, act, and sound different than their peers, and it should. I tell them it's going to cost them, and the world around them will be pressuring them to be mediocre at best in their relationship with God. But we are to press on toward the goal. The same encouragement applies to us as well. Although our peers may not pressure us like they did in high school, the world around us still doesn't want us to be all for Christ. And it still costs us to follow Him. The battle for complacency looks different for many of you. Some of you are older and have lived many years walking with Christ. And some of you, maybe have just come to know Christ recently. Either way, no matter how educated or how new you are to the faith, don't become complacent. Press forward. Oftentimes, complacency comes from comparing yourself to those around you. And settling, saying things like oh, "I'm I'm doing pretty good compared to these people over here," or "It's not worth it since I'll never be as solid as these Christians that I that I have in my life." So these are some of the thoughts that I know some of you have had in your in your walk with Christ. And Satan loves it when we become content because then we're st- we stop striving, we stop going forward. Never settle. Never never let the pride think that you've made it or that you can't make it. Press forward with everything you have. Paul uses the example of his own life to explain his point here. And one commentary put it this way. In Paul's words here, in, he put his, Paul's words in perspective with what we know from his own life. During his time as a believer, which is somewhere around 30 years now since his conversion on Damascus Road, Paul has been through a lot. He's won many spiritual battles and grown in his faith immensely. But he candidly confessed that he had not obtained it all, all being full glory in Christ. Nor was he yet made perfect, from verse 12. He had not reached the pinnacle of Christian life. There was still more to achieve. This testimony of the apostle reminded the saints of Philippi, and it serves to remind believers today, that there can never be a stalemate in the spiritual growth or plateau beyond which they cannot climb. Paul was a spiritual giant in the eye of the church at the time and is still one for us today, but not even he had experienced the power of Christ's resurrection or becoming like Christ in his death. He hadn't made it yet, and he wasn't done pressing forward. Paul shares this important detail about not yet reaching that state to refute the other religious figures at the time who were claiming to have attained spiritual maturity, And Paul warns them of this in verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think that this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Paul is saying here that if you really are mature, and this is great, if you really are mature, then you will realize that you are not yet perfectly mature. Let's not be like those spiritual... Or those religious figures, let's be like Paul, knowing that we aren't yet made perfect and we still have to strive forward. Having shared the reality of his state, he then shares his present mindset, one of an active pursuit of God. In verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul pursued Christ's likeness with the enthusiasm and persistence of a runner in the Greek Games, aka the Olympics. The goal here is like a finish line at the end of the race. The prize in the future, as the ESV Study Bible says, is the fullness of blessing and rewards in the age to come, most especially being in perfect relationship with Christ forever. That's the goal. That's what we run towards. Despite what his past held, he wanted to leave that behind and like a runner, only look forward and press toward that finish line. Paul refused to be controlled or absorbed by his past heritage in verses 5 through 7 or his achievements in verse 8. His focus was forward. I love this idea of running in this passage, the idea of it, not actually running. Soccer conditioning back in the day was not my favorite time of year at all, which is actually like now, this was soccer time. I don't like running, but I do like the idea of running towards Christ. toward the goal not walking not a brisk jog but an all-out run i like what matthew henry said earlier about becoming fitter to run faster and i know we have some runners in the congregation so if i'm wrong in anything i say you can talk to me afterwards but the best long distance runners are not just fast right out of the gate or right at the end they're conditioned to run the entire race They are even paced, not up and down or slow than fast, but steady, streamlined, efficient with their energy and purpose. And this is what we are called to do in our Christian life presently. The more you train, the better you become. It's true in most things. In uh, In running, this means that you can become faster. You can go farther. And the higher the threshold is for those things. So you can... Run faster for longer. Matthew Henry talks about this in the Christian life. Paul is talking about this in our life now. Becoming fitter, training our minds uh, to constantly focus on Christ through all that comes our way. I remember in high school asking Wayne, youth pastor Wayne, uh, why is it that I tended to have such great highs but then lows in my spiritual life? I noticed that after summer camps and winter camps at church, Me and God were good. I felt very close to him, but undoubtedly there'd be times where I felt so far from him. I wanted to run all the time, not what I was doing, which felt like running and then walking a lot or maybe jogging and then running for a bit. He pointed me to the older, wiser wiser Christians in this church and said that, and he pointed to their consistency in their faith, which is you guys. There is less ebb and flow and better, more steady relationship with Christ, rising upward toward him. I wanted to become more conditioned to run this race. I didn't want to keep walking and slowing down. I wanted to run. And I think that is all of our desire. We don't want to have the ups and downs. We want to run as fast as we can, as hard as we can, towards Christ. One commentary states, Vigorously and with concentration, Paul sought to win the prize to which God had called him heavenward. Paul must have been thinking about the Olympics when he wrote this. I know I was. As the winner of that race was then called to where the judges of the game sat to receive the prize. And that's what Paul refers to here as he paints the picture of us going up to God after we have finished the race. And that leads to the next point, the future. The future. So we've heard Paul's view on the past and the mindset that we should hold. We've been encouraging how to live now in the present. And now we're going to cover our view on the future. We talked about not looking back, giving all of our energy towards running forward, towards the goal. And I want to talk about what that goal is. The future only holds two outcomes for people, eternal destruction or eternal glory with God. And Paul shares these two outcomes in verses 19 through 21. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship, citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 19 mentions destruction, and verse 20 talks about citizenship in heaven. Now let me first say, before getting to these two outcomes, Paul's reaction towards both reflect his godly heart. He is brought to tears for those who are against Christ, because even though they oppose him, he knows they still need Christ. His heart breaks in a way that God's heart breaks for the lost, for those who will face eternal destruction. Again, this speaks of Paul's selflessness here, his life following Christ's perfect humility, who, like Christ, loved those who persecuted him. Like Christ's life taught us, and Paul alludes to here, we are constantly moving in life, either towards destruction or towards heaven. We as Christians are citizens of heaven. As we run towards Christ, we are moving towards the transformation of our lowly bodies, in verse 21, to be like Christ's glorious body by the power of God. Christians living the eternal life are living the eternal life now. I mean, we don't wait for death to start living with Christ. Christ is with us and the Spirit is in us. On the other end, without Christ, those people are heading towards destruction. Calvin says that there are many who creep upon the ground not feeling the power of God's kingdom. Paul speaks to the indication of who these people are in verse 19. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. He's saying that those who walk as enemies to the cross are already on that path of destruction. It doesn't start when they die. They worship themselves, their belly, wherever their gut leads, whatever they want. They are consumed with earthly things. They belong to this earth. They not only sin, but they boast in their sin. These people pursue the things of, the, of this earth, and their present mindset does not look forward towards what is to come, but is consumed with inward selfish desires, pleasing them now. And their description is, direct, is in direct contrast to what the follower of Christ and the things that they are to be focused on should be. The other future is heaven. Calvin states, For Paul teaches that nothing is to be reckoned of any value except God's spiritual kingdom, because believers ought to lead a heavenly life in this world. Remember from previous chapters, and even just a couple verses ago, our focus is not on ourselves, not our bellies, what we want from this world that would benefit us, but on Christ. Our focus is upward, not inward, not selfish, but outward, focused on others, counting them more significant than ourselves, from chapter 2. Our minds are set on heavenly things. Verse 20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. What a glorious future ahead of us. With our hearts and minds not focused on the things of this earth, but wholly set on our future with him, we can rest assured that this world will not be the end of us. Our future lies with Christ in glorious praise and overwhelming sense of fullness as we are completely who God made us to be with our God-given talents and gifts being used for the fullness of God. Used to the full glory of God, sorry. Followers of Christ are citizens of heaven. We reference this in chapter 1, verse 27, when talking about living in a way that glorifies Christ, letting your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. We talked about how that also meant that we are citizens of heaven. Be citizens of Christ. Our focus is on what is to come, looking forward to the transformation that we await as citizens. Those who follow Christ's example of service will share in his vindication and glory as well. We can look to Christ's life as an example of what is in store for us. Christ buried but rose again and ascended into heaven. We too will get to be with Christ in heaven. And at that point, we will be made perfect through his power, no sooner. Heaven, which remains a mystery to us, is meant to be in the future and not in the present. It's supposed to be a mystery. If we were to know the fullness of heaven now, we would not be able to handle it. Like the disciples who saw the transfiguration on the mountain, Matthew, they couldn't handle it. We couldn't handle it either. We can't handle the fullness of heaven. We must await its glory. Calvin encourages us let us for the present be contented with the evidence of our adoption, being destined to know the riches of our inheritance when we shall come to the enjoyment of them. The glory of heaven. Is incomprehensible to us, and not at our loss, but for God's glory and for our fullest fullest joy when we go to be in the city of heaven that we are citizens of. This is Paul's exhortation to us believers of Christ and how to view our lives from the past and the present and looking forward in the future. And I want to bring a point of application for each of these points. For the past, accept God's grace. Our pasts are all different. We come from different backgrounds, different stories, different upbringings. And we all struggle with sin. But God's love overcomes and covers all of it. All of our sin, all of our past. All the sin and darkness that we have been through, He loves us through it all. We can't let our pride get in the way of God forgiving our past. We must know that God's love is stronger, wider, and deeper than any sin that he has forgiven us. We must also shed the ego, shed the pride or attachment to any gains or accolades that we think that we have on this earth. Don't let the past be something that you regret leaving. Accept his grace, be humble, know that God loves you and that you are in need of his love. So accept God's grace. For the present, press on with everything. This means that we must not be content with where we're at, but strive for more. Recognize that we are not yet perfectly matured in the faith. Have the mindset that we are in need of Christ. Until we get to be with him, we have to give our everything to pursuing him. Like the runners, we don't give out in the middle of the race. We want to finish, and we want to finish strong. We want to be conditioned for this race that we are in as Christians. 1 Corinthians 9 24-26 says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only run receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Or Second Timothy 4, verse 7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. And from Hebrews 12, 1, that hold us back from God and press on with everything that we have, running with endurance, running till the end. And I love what was said before, with arms outstretched towards heaven. I don't know about you, but when I was running, I could always run faster when I was chasing something. When they told me just to run a lap, I was not running very fast, but if I had to chase the soccer ball or whatever it was, I would run as fast as I could. And I feel it's the same for us. We're not just running aimlessly, we're running towards Christ. We know what we're running towards, so we can run harder and faster. And for the future, the last point, look forward to heaven. Some people, because of our lack of understanding, don't hold heaven as something to look forward to. They think it's just endless praise singing, which seems boring to do for eternity. But we have to understand that there is glory reserved for the bodies of the saints, which the will be in state at the resurrection, and we will be in heaven. Heaven is a place full of God's glory, of us bringing God glory in ways that he has prepared us for, that he has gifted us for. I read a book recently that put heaven in such a great perspective for me. God's gifts that he's given us, the skills, the interests that we have, may not end here on earth. We may carry those with us into heaven and do those things in heaven in a perfect way that bring glory to God because we're using the things that he has gifted us. And it totally shifted my view of heaven from hours of singing um, to I can be doing something that God has given me for God forever. This also means that we can't be too caught up in the world we live in. Grudem says the more Christians are caught up in enjoying the good things of this life and the more, the, 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 ah, sorry. the more they neglect genuine Christian fellowship and their personal relationship with Christ, the less they will long for his return. We need to long for the return of Christ and make sure that we're not putting hindrances to those desires in front of us. Titus 2, 11 through 13 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. So let's be eager for heaven. So in closing, let's work to have the right mindset towards our past, present, and future. Let's let go of what the past holds, not letting, us, not letting it hold us back from pursuing God. Let's live this Christian life with energy and full effort towards running towards the prize. And let's hold that prize, being in heaven with Christ for eternity, at the center of our sights. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we are running towards you. Um, and we're learning, God. We're not perfect. We're in process. Uh, but we want to we run better. We want to be more conditioned in our lives to follow you at all times. God, you are eternity with you. Yes, is unfathomable, but it's something that we can still hope for and reach for. And God, we want to run with arms outstretched towards you with everything we have. I pray that you would equip us to do that, empower us to do that. God, fill us up with what we need in order that we can get through each day uh, being humble, serving you, advancing the gospel, and running, God. It's you that deserves all glory. And God, we want to leave the past in the past. We just want to look back for encouragement, giving you the glory for what you've done. But we want to leave our pride of things that we've accomplished behind. And God, we want to recognize that you have forgiven all of our sins. And God, presently, we want to run with everything we have. And God, I pray that heaven would really become a focus of ours, God, that we would keep that at the center of our hearts and our minds each day. We love you, God, and we give everything we have to you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.